This is Machine Language, the podcast hosted by Manufacturing Automation Magazine. You've tuned in to hear conversations with industry experts on the latest industrial automation technologies and trends in Canada's manufacturing sector. Hello and welcome to this episode of Machine Language. I'm your host, Sukanya Reghosh, editor of Manufacturing Automation Magazine. Robots have been an essential part of automating manufacturing facilities for a while now. In recent years, collaborative robots or cobots have made it easier to deploy automation quickly, easily, and cost-effectively when needed. They are suitable for manufacturers of all sizes, whether small, medium, or large. Cobots work in tandem with human workers on the factory floors, often taking on the tedious repetitive tasks and allowing the workers to perform more value-added work. For this podcast, we have with us three experts from Omron Automation America's team to discuss collaborative robots, Adrian Choi, Mike Warren, and James Martell. Adrian Choi is the product manager of robotics at Omron. Adrian has over 15 years of academic, professional, and competitive robotics experience. He is currently leading the industrial robotic technology at Omron. His main responsibilities include driving the robot product lineup and establishing a great relationship with the factory partners and sales team. He brings in-depth skills and knowledge in the robotic automation space. Adrian received his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from University of Michigan. His expertise prior to Omron also includes product and software development. Mike Warren is the product manager of safety components and safety controllers at Omron. Mike is an expert in component and controller safety. He has held various roles in sales as a motion specialist, safety product specialist, and senior account manager in his 12 years at Omron. He received his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Northeastern University. James Martell is an automation engineer for fixed robotics, vision, and controls at Omron. James has over eight years of experience in the industrial automation engineering space. He has extensive knowledge of automation technologies, including robotics, vision, and controls. Currently, James is the expert in collaborative robots and vision technology at the Proof of Concept Center located in the Omron headquarters office. He's passionate about solving customer challenges by transforming design concepts into real automation solutions, as well as providing additional support for regional field engineers. In this episode, we talk about collaborative robots, safety standards and regulations, selecting the right cobots, risk assessments, integrating cobots on the factory floor, training personnel, and more. Let's listen to the conversation now. Hello and welcome to Machine Language, the podcast for Manufacturing Automation magazine. We have with us a team of experts from Omron Automation Americas. Welcome, Mike, James, and Adrian, and we are very excited to chat uh, about collaborative robots today and with a special focus on safety as well. You know, robots have always been an important part of automation projects for manufacturers. What trends are you seeing in the adoption of collaborative robots or cobots? And what do you think is the reason behind these trends? Uh, Hello, yes, Uh, this is Adrian. Uh, It was a long time coming, but 
robotics adoption and industrial operations changed from being a nice to have into a need to have. Uh, previously, robotics technology was looked at to uh, boost productivity, product quality, uh, but thanks to uh, COVID, uh, robotics is now looked at as something that you need to have due to all of the factors uh, within industrial automation in modern times. Uh, so obviously COVID and the ensuing increases in demand, uh, supply chain struggles and labor shortage have pushed manufacturers to their absolute limits. Uh, this isn't including the COVID agnostic trends of customers, uh, demanding more customizability and the need for high mix and low volume production. Uh, these manufacturers can't afford high scrap rates anymore. Uh, they can't afford uh, to have uh, their limited human labor to uh, work on low value tasks, uh, both of which can be addressed by robotics technology. Uh, robotic, uh, robots can enable more consistent production and improve product quality and automate that low value add uh, repetitive uh, work I previously mentioned so that people can actually work on things that require human intelligence, that uh, engineering uh, and creative element uh, that we possess. Uh, however, cobots also provide a unique solution uh, compared to other robotics options in their ease of integration and their reconfigurability, uh, which has boosted uh, cobot adoption rates compared to some other robotics options out there. Uh, in terms of exact features, I'll let James start covering some of uh, the newer trends in cobots that are drawing people towards this technology. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I think one of the number one uh, features or number one questions that we get about the cobots is uh, the higher payloads and what is the payload of the cobot. So we've been seeing an increase in the demand for the cobots with higher payloads, especially in palletizing applications uh, across industries. Uh, higher payloads will enable applications such as palletizing or material handling. This allows manufacturers to have more flexibility to handle more complex production requests. Cobots bring the benefit to the customers to protect the operators from excessive manual work and repetitive tasks in the end of line conveying applications, which many times can cause in injuries. Um, besides the physical damage, high cost related to accidents and employee turnover uh, is another major issue that the manufacturers are facing today. In combination with this, um, mobile robots, uh, specifically with cobots as well for material handling, um, is a focus that we see as a huge trend. Um, the combination of mobile robot and collaborative robot has been catching the attention of customers who want to automate the process of material transportation in assembly lines and warehouses. Uh, this solution consists in integrating the, a cobot at the top of a mobile robot. The cobot is in charge of, you know, picking and placing the parts from the conveyors or machines, and the mobile robot has the function of identifying and navigating through the environment in order to get the fixed robot to the places that it needs to go and deliver those parts uh, that it picked up and placed on top of the mobile robot or on top of the robot itself. Uh, to wherever it needs to go in the warehouse in the facility. So it's a very flexible solution overall. We call solutions like this, such, uh, such as this, the mobile manipulator uh, and then MoMA for short. Yeah, and uh, there's two other uh, items we wanted to highlight here. Revisiting the topic of being easy to integrate. If you look at other robotic solutions, some more traditional ones such as uh, articulated arms, SCARA robots, uh, those involve a lot of 
additional safeguarding you need to separate their workspace from humans and other equipment. But the cobots uh, have an advantage over that uh, because of the design considerations they have in terms of software and hardware uh, baked into their design, which can reduce the amount of safeguarding you need. Uh, so limited fencing, uh, limited uh, separation between human and robot workspaces, uh, which means that you can uh, put a cobot solution potentially in series in an existing workspace. Uh, so you don't need to relocate equipment or uh, restrict areas, which is great for uh, end users who uh, can't afford the extra footprint or can't afford to spend time and money to uh, change their layout. Uh, and then, uh, of course, advances in AI and edge computing have been assisting the adoption of cobots as well, uh, especially uh, when you look at AI-powered smart cameras that can be integrated with cobots uh, for things like part inspection, for traceability, uh, for quality inspection when combined with other automation technologies. Uh, so you can do things like uh, traceability, uh, track production to make uh, new engineering judgments uh, and especially reconfigure uh, the cobots again thanks to the ease of programming involved uh, so uh, a lot of uh, different factors are going into uh, the reason why cobots are being adopted more and more and that's just uh, the tip of the iceberg and if we take the electronics manufacturing sector for example what would be some common challenges of selecting and implementing cobots the first one that is pretty obvious is uh, making sure that you have the exact special ratings needed for your equipment. Uh, so these can include ESD ratings, uh, semi-S2 ratings, to avoid not only damaging uh, the boards and electronic components uh, caused by electrostatic discharge that uh, your robotic solution may be handling, uh, but also for the cobot itself, uh, where if you're exposed in this environment that you're protecting your investment uh, for this. So making sure that your uh, Cobot that you're interested in purchasing has this protection rating is the first step in the selection process. Um, the next step is the production target. Uh, you should be able to know the factors of your application. Uh, do you have cycle times? Do you have limitations with uh, the workspace? Uh, are you trying to uh, get a certain level of uh, precision, uh, repeatability, uh, interaction, things of that? Uh, so this is where we dive down into the data sheet or even go into proof of concepts with your robots, uh, making sure that uh, you are purchasing the right model of cobot uh, and not over budgeting. Uh, I know it's appealing for end users to just get the biggest model possible, uh, but sometimes you have to take into account things like uh, the application, the workspace, how safe the cobot will be with that extended reach, uh, if it'll be able to fit in series within an existing environment. Uh, so really scanning the data sheet to make sure you're looking at the exact uh, model you need. Uh, and then automating uh, environments where you want to have humans and robots share the workspace, just to revisit that, making sure that the whole application is taken into account. Uh, again, uh, especially if you're trying to automate a system where people have historically uh, done the work. So what we see a lot in electronics manufacturing are loading parts into test machines uh, that are typically manually operated. So opening doors, pressing buttons on an operator panel, uh, making sure that you have the right cobot, the right gripper uh, that adheres to certain safety standards to make sure that uh, you can share a workspace with a person, uh, that it has the right reach and the right cycle time. Uh, these are all factors that you'll need to not only uh, speak with your robotics provider to make sure the cobot is physically capable of, but can be uh, operational around other people. 
Uh, James, I would like to go uh, to you with the next question. Uh, what is the recommended procedure on integrating programming and connecting the cobots to the rest of the plant? Of course. So there are a lot of uh, considerations uh, for integrating cobots into your facility. And I think a lot of it depends on the application that you're working with, as well as the user's experience with cobots and integrating cobots. If it's your first cobot project, um, there's often a lot of training that would need to be done on the to tr help train some of the other uh, employees that are going to be working in the same area as the cobot to be, be aware that there is going to be a cobot. And even though they have safety features uh, built into them or can be added to them, like light curtains or area scanners and everything, uh, it is also important for the other employees to uh, be aware that this machine will be working in an, in an environment that's close to people and that it might need some space or just so that nobody uh, would get hurt. But a very powerful strength of the cobots is that they are very flexible to be adapted to a lot of different environments uh, due to the collaborative nature of it. So the ability to hook up safety equipment to the cobot in order to allow the cobot to either temporarily pause what it's doing or, you know, go at a reduced speed or um, just be aware of the other things in the environment helps make it so that you can kind of have a flexible production system. It's it's you can hook up a lot of different devices to it and there's a lot of different ways to do it. If it's your first cobot application, you can probably do a lot of the work and programming from the cobot software itself and then hook up the various uh, devices, uh, sensors, HMI screens and everything to communicate with the cobot. Or if the project is more complex and involved, uh, you can add a PLC to the application in order to help coordinate either multiple robots or other equipment uh, in the environment that it's going to be work with. Uh, so and one thing I wanted to mention as well for the programming of the collaborative robots, uh, the programming language is significantly uh, more intuitive compared to the traditional robots, which reduces the overall development time of the project dramatically. Right. The programming is done in a way, uh, in a flowchart, so that you can access the robot uh, software through the robot controller, pendant, or an external computer. Right. And just depending on how things, uh, how the application looks and like what the requirements of it, it's definitely recommended to work with the end user and a certified system integrator who has the experience to integrate collaborative robots to ensure that uh, the cobot matches the application. Safety is a crucial consideration when adding a cobot. However, there is a general bias or, some, or misconception about cobot safety that, you know, it is uh, safe out of a box. So um, anyone would like to share your thoughts on this? Yes, like you said, a lot of people think that uh, cobots inherently are safe without any thought, which we were hinting at uh, previous uh, answers to the questions we were saying, you know, can be safe, can have reduced safeguarding. Uh, and we don't blame people. In a lot of marketing, it seems that way. Uh, when people first see cobots, it's usually at a trade show or a demo room where uh, cobots are supervised while in motion, so they might not have a full risk assessment or full safeguarding around it. But the reality is, when you have a cobot doing an actual job, an app actual application, yeah. um, <clears throat> there is a level of safeguarding that you uh, may need. Uh, so the first step is to consider the entire application and not just the cobot. 
Uh, so we can start with the example of what kind of tool is attached to the end of a cobot. For example, you could have a collaborative ap application with a standard gripper, uh, yeah. but if you have a bladed tool, uh, that cobot is no longer inherently collaborative and you need to really take a step back and see if a collaborative workspace that shares a workspace with a human can ever be collaborative if you have like a knife attached to that cobot. Uh, and that extends to the rest of it. Uh, where's the cobot positioned in regards to walls or other pieces of equipment? What is the cobot carrying? And what is it carrying at what speeds and what happens if the gripper fails? Uh, there's a lot of different uh, factors you need to take into account that goes just beyond how you program uh, the cobot. Right. Uh, so, uh, and even how you program the cobot itself, even if all of those factors are safe, there are uh, standards uh, like uh, ISO standards that define uh, how and what are acceptable levels of cobot and human uh, body contact. So you could have an application which is safe in all of the other variables, but if the cobot could potentially collide with the person's uh, head or neck region, uh, that is not acceptable. Yeah. And you have to take into account things like speeds and torques uh, and even position of the installation. Um, most of the hazards in collaborative applications are uh, related to that sort of physical contact. Yeah. Uh, so it's not something uh, that you can take for granted. Uh, so we need to take into account, once again, program torques and speeds, uh, what the robot is carrying, how it's carrying, uh, yep. safety stop distances, like uh, James was mentioning before, where collaborative robots can go into slower speed modes or full stops. And yep. the risk of poorly executing this can pose a risk to the operators. Um, it, it could uh, create pinch points for them. It could create enclosed areas. Uh, so uh, the devil's in the details. Uh, a yeah. cobot application can make for a safe workspace, but you need to do your due diligence. And uh, I think Mike uh, can better explain uh, some of the uh, closer details in this. Thanks, Adrian. Um, yes, uh, there has to be a way to identify uh, the human or the operator near the collaborative robot. And one of the ways to do that is, is with sensors. And this is what really distinguishes a collaborative robot from a standard industrial robot, where it has the ability to uh, work together with a safety system that identifies the human near the application, near the operation, and uh, control the speed and modify its behavior based on the fact that uh, there may be somebody nearby. Um, we have to, as uh, Adrian mentioned, we have to reduce the speed of the robot. Uh, perhaps we have to reduce the torque of the uh, joints um, so they have less force and they become less hazardous. But the collaborative robot is designed to work with a human uh, following a, uh, a properly executed risk assessment. Uh, this has to be done to really identify where the risks are and where the operators will be and basically how the operation uh, will work together. In the collaborative workspace, um, it's a defined zone that is identified uh, within the uh, context of the collaborative robot software, but also in the uh, context of the work cell. Um, so it can be marked off and identified as that is going to be a shared space. And these safety sensors are designed to detect when a human will be there it reduces the speed of the collab robot to a safe speed. And then when the human departs the area, the robot now can go back up to full speed. So it maximizes the efficiency of the collab robot where it can be optimized for speed and performance when nobody is uh, nearby. 
and then it can have a reduced capability when a human goes by. And these safety sensors can detect this and switch this back and forth uh, automatically. And again, it just helps uh, with the efficiency and the throughput uh, that the uh, Collab robot uh, can offer uh, when uh, someone is there, but then again, to full speed when someone is not there. Why is it important to have a risk assessment when installing a cobot? Mike, you mentioned this right now, so uh, maybe you can talk about this. Yes, uh, a risk assessment is really a process to understand all the risks involved in the movement of the Collabra robot and also the interaction of people near the Collabra robot. It really has to be looked at holistically. And a risk assessment uh, performed by a, a certified risk assessor uh, considers everything involved. As uh, Adrian mentioned, the end effectors, the tooling on the end of the Collab robot, that could be important. It may be a, a soft, uh, malleable gripper, or again, it could be some sort of a knife. So exactly where it is and how dangerous it is has to be considered as part of the process. There's a specific um, ISO um, uh, standard that uh, guides uh, the risk assessment. Uh, it's uh, ISO 13849-1, and it's recognized, it's a European standard, but it's recognized internationally uh, and in throughout the Americas. And this is the basis for a risk assessment. So it isn't so arbitrary that everybody can uh, decide what is uh, a risk and what is not a risk. The uh, risk assessment following uh, the guidelines from ISO 13849-1 um, sets up a scoring level. And prior to adding and considering and designing a safety system for Collab Robot, um, the cell, including the Collab Robot, uh, and how it's going to be used, how much human interaction uh, will be involved, uh, it, there's right. a baseline score. And then from that score, um, a mutually agreed upon uh, safety level will be determined by the customer and by the operator and um, additional devices will be added, safety equipment will be added to the collab robot to bring the score up to the point where, again, uh, there's uh, safety for uh, humans near the collab robot. But the risk assessment itself is uh, really the thing that looks at it and does uh, the assessment and determines uh, the, uh, the, the risk after the uh, safety implements are put in there, um, what the residual risks may be still. Okay. So which features are important for choosing a cobot in terms of safety? In general, uh, the cobot would need to have a mechanical structure capable of avoiding crush points during its movement. And if you kind of look and compare the design of a cobot versus a more traditional industrial robot, the cobot will have a lot more uh, smooth joints or kind of spaces in between joints to help with avoiding like pinch points. Because right. a lot of the time cobots, you can uh, work with them and guide them around by hand. So while you're doing that, it's very important for the design of the robot to allow for people's fingers to, it won't always be safe to put it in every position that the cobot can be in. But in general, there's just more room for flexibility to work with it by hand. And then another core requirement uh, is that it needs to have safety sensors and circuits capable of identifying any type of collision in its joints. Yeah. A lot of industrial robots to some extent do, 
but the collaborative robots are a little bit more sensitive to that to allow to again with kind of operating with people close to it in mind yeah. uh it'll it'll be uh one of the things that you can do with a cobot is if the cobot's in your space it's in collaborative mode and everything you can kind of push it or bump it and then it will stop in addition to that uh t cobots will typically have a external controller where it's possible to integrate all of the other components using the safety inputs and outputs yeah and it's important to if you're looking at the specs of the cobot it's important to analyze which safety category that each circuit and operation mode reaches uh to ensure that it'll meet the requirements of the safety risk assessment or evaluation for the application and then in terms of tools and accessories um, some applications will require a safety sensor in the gripper which means that the gripper should also be capable to identify the opening and closing of the position to avoid squeezing uh, operators hands and fingers and then additional force sensing can also be integrated to identify collision in the tool and especially in applications of machine tending where the cobot is responsible to fit the parts in the machine tool. What safety regulations should the manufacturer know and understand when considering cobots? Are there safety products that can help them meet the regulations better or ensure that the factory floor is essentially safe? Yes, uh, I'd like to address that and uh, clarify uh, regulations. Um, in the world of safety, when we speak of regulations, um, we start to address a specific uh, regulatory body. Uh, right. In the United States, the regulatory body is OSHA. Uh, and in Canada, it's the Canadian Center for Occupational Health and Safety. And they're basically the government entity that is uh, providing legislation and enforcement of uh, safety specs. Now, that said, that is the uh, enforcement uh, branch of the safety. Uh, but everybody follows specific standards. And there's yeah. international standards. Uh, we spoke of uh, ISO uh, 13849, and there are several others, as a matter of fact, and those are basically guidelines. Uh, yeah. There is no uh, regulation and no enforcement done by that, but it's a matter of everybody uh, uh, picking up on a standard and following it. So um, there's a common language and common design principles applied uh, across the globe. And again, the uh, ISO standards uh, tend to be uh, superior because everybody seems to be following them. A lot yes. of the regulations uh, in Canada, for example, um, the CSA standards, the Canadian Standards Association, many of their electrical standards based on IEC standards. And uh, some of the IEC standards that are common uh, in the, uh, the world is, for example, like uh, IEC and ISO standards really are set for everybody and both the United States and the, uh, and the uh, regulatory body in Canada actually write them from these standards. Um, so it is, again, it is not uh, arbitrary. Everybody's following the same guidelines and um, it would be nice if everything was harmonized. We spoke of ISO 13849. Um, yeah. There's also ISO 12100, which identifies machine limits. Um, ISO 10218, um, identify specific control and operation of robots. But specifically to cobots, most countries now are following a specific ISO uh, technical spec. It's 15066, which is very unique to collaborative applications. And uh, this tends to be uh, what everybody is following now. And again, to address uh, collaborative robot safety. Um, one of the important things with 
by following um, this uh, tech sheet here is that it addresses the what we spoke about where collaborative workspace where the collaborative robot is able to work with a human nearby and that's something very unique uh, compared to industrial robots industrial yeah. robots tend not to have uh, features that will address or allow humans to uh, be nearby uh, things as uh, adrian and james mentioned things like pinch points are uh, are eliminated or the risk of pinch points is mitigated uh, heavily for collaborative robots. Their skin surfaces uh, tend not to catch um, uh, either uh, people or their clothing. Um, so they're very they're very well designed to address working together. And the uh, tech sheet um, that we spoke about fifteen zero six six actually yeah. addresses the regulation behind. Um, how to, and again, these are standards, these are guidelines, but um, they are both uh, adopted by the regulatory bodies uh, uh, in uh, the North Americas uh, based on uh, these international type standards. Do collaborative robots require any certification? Uh, I can answer this one. So it's a, it's a question we'll flip back onto the end user. Uh, right. Do you require any certification? Uh, you'll often see, uh, like Mike was just saying, uh, that cobot manufacturers will list uh, things such as ISO standards, uh, such as uh, 102.18, which outlines how to uh, reduce or eliminate uh, safety risks to people around the robot. Uh, however, uh, these are guidelines and not, let's say, regulations. Uh, so we need to be a little semantic and pick apart at the words here. Uh, right. So these are things that uh, the cobot is designed to uh, help enable uh, the adherence to uh, ISO standards such as that. But it really depends on having a proper risk assessment, which is also an ISO certified process and the end user doing their due diligence along with the integrator. Uh, so we need to really separate, you know, what's a certification, uh, what's self-certified and what's yeah. a standard. Uh, so we do have certifications. Uh, involved, such as uh, we mentioned this before in regards to semiconductors, uh, ESD ratings or uh, semi S2 certification. And many of these are uh, validated by testing houses that are hired by uh, COBAT manufacturers. So these yeah. providers will usually list these in data sheets and they may be able to supply you with the testing certificates uh, to show the adherence to that certification. Uh, but then you also have things such as uh, cobots that have food grade grease, H1 rated food grade grease. Now yeah. that's not necessarily a certified thing, uh, but if it has an H1 rated grease, uh, you may be able to re reliably use this in applications where uh, a cobot may be in the presence of food. Uh, there's other things such as IP ratings, uh, once again, something uh, verified by a testing house or the manufacturer, uh, but it's really important to discern what's the difference between uh, a certification and what is adherence to, let's say, an ISO standard, which uh, isn't something that you can just slap on the side of a box and say it's done. Like Mike was saying, some of these are processes or standards that you have to follow. Um, and you know, not to sound like a broken record, but it's all about the due diligence, the entire application at the end, rather than just posting the logo or number on the side and saying that your job is done. Uh, so it's, it's something that we highly encourage to have a conversation with. Uh, robot integrators and uh, robot providers, but it's uh, the conversation starts with what 
end users need for their applications to really define what certifications and uh, regulations are needed to observe. You know, automation technology, including cobots, they work best when the humans on the factory floors understand their capabilities and know how to tap into their full potential. So what training should workers on the factory floors receive on using cobots in general and specifically on cobot safety? To make a long story short, you're never going to go wrong with investing in your own workforce to upskill them. Right. Uh, it makes the uh, introduction of industrial automation technology less uh, daunting and scary for them. And ultimately, you'll empower your workers to work in concert with your new production and all of this new uh, equipment that you're investing right. in. Right. Uh, so, of course, training is import an important part of the risk assessment uh, of safety machinery. Like Mike was saying, uh, you have to make sure that everyone who interacts with the cobot and uh, the rest of the uh, robotic uh, solution cell is trained and understands what isn't uh, isn't acceptable uh, performance around the robot, uh, what the expected operation is, and the safety procedures. Uh, so uh, these often include uh, the manufacturing operators and maintenance technicians. Uh, yeah. So that's part of the risk assessment, uh, but general training and workshops um, are uh, always good uh, as best practice to start. But of course, many uh, cobot providers and distributors of cobots also offer training on programming and operating the cobots themselves. Uh, so workers without any engineering experience can learn the yep. principles of a cobot, uh, the programming of cobot in as little as a week, allowing them to understand how to actually program, reset, or reconfigure a cobot. Uh, like James was saying before, uh, cobots are uh, famously uh, easy to program thanks to uh, either hand guidance programming or the more visual uh, flowchart-based programming notes, which means you don't really need to have someone with a computer science master's uh, to operate a cobot. Uh, so it's in everyone's best interest uh, to make sure that your workforce is ready for uh, these cobots. But thanks to the ease of use, uh, yeah. it's a uh, easy to upskill your workforce to be able to work with uh, these cobots. And ultimately, uh, I mean, that's a key word uh, in cobots, right? Collaborative. Yeah. We're not looking to replace people or have people ignore the cobots. We want the cobots to work with people. Absolutely. You know, before we sign off from this podcast, I, I just want to finally ask uh, all three of you any final thoughts that you would like to, you know, leave our listeners with, our audience with. Yes, I'd like to follow up uh, to uh, Adrian's comments about um, the risk assessments and the safety uh, that we're following uh, behind the international standards. There's a layer of compliance that is uh, due uh, through the countries and then following uh, uh, recognized standards. But there's also uh, standards uh, done by either by states or provinces. Sometimes uh, these can be a little more severe than the general standards laid out uh, nationally. Uh, for example, in Ontario, they have a specific regulation called Ontario Regulation 851. It identifies the fact that for these risk assessments and it cannot be done, um, it cannot be a self-certification. It has to be done by a third party and a licensed engineer. It becomes more important uh, to follow the procedure and follow uh, the requirements uh, by province uh, or in the United States by state. So um, yeah. that's an additional layer of compliance and regulatory compliance that must be adhered to 
uh, of course, if these um, collab robots uh, reside in, in these states that uh, mandate these things. Thank you so much, Mike, for this uh, final piece of information. And thank you so much, Adrian, James, and Mike, three of you, for sharing uh, your valuable thoughts and insights into what it takes to uh, include and implement a collaborative robot in a, in a manufacturing setting and the safest way to do so. Thank you so much for joining us on Machine Language. Thank you for having thank us. You. Thank you for having us.